Welcome to the second circle. You're listening to episode seven, Toe Sucking a la Carte. I'm Frankie Kickney and I'm here as usual with my husband Rob. And also this week, our two kittens made an appearance. Uh huh. So if you hear some enthusiastic purring in the background, that's just their way of contributing to the discussion. On this week's agenda, sex and ethics. We'll be talking about how society views different kinds of sex and why it is that things that seem unethical in life can be okay or even hot in sex. We're also discussing the concept of the sex menu, differing libidos and toe-sucking. Hi Rob. Hello, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Are you having a sexy start to 2017? Yeah, I suppose so, you know. It's very early in the year, only the second week of January. What sex news have you got for me? One story so far this year that I thought was quite interesting, which was um, about, I guess he's a a sex therapist, is he? Dr. Stephen DeVitt. All right, what's he Um, said? He's mentioned on the Independent website, and uh, he suggested something for couples. I, I don't think it's necessarily for couples who struggle to talk about sex, I think it's supposed to be for everybody. And he, he's drawn up a sex menu. Intriguing. Tell me more about the sex menu. So he, the idea of the sex menu is that he has provided a list of sexual activities. And I guess if you and your partner have trouble maybe vocalising what you do and don't like, maybe if you don't have trouble vocalising it, but you, you know you just want a, a new way of approaching it, he's listed, God, looking at this list, it looks like maybe about 100, possibly more activities. Whoa. Okay, that's a pretty extensive sex menu. That's a lot, right? So wait, wait, wait. What's the idea? You take Dr. Stephen DeWitt's menu to bed with you and order off it. Right. Well, I'm not sure that's necessarily how it works. I think the idea would be we might be sat here over dinner and you've got your sex menu and I've got my sex menu (laughs) and we fill them in in total silence, I imagine. (laughs) And you have to say whether you'd be up for something, not up for it, slightly interested. Okay. And, you know, I'm not sure menu is entirely accurate. I mean, it's not, it bears no similarity to a normal restaurant menu. There's no sort of... I will start with the uh, cunnilingus. And for my main, I would like anal. And for dessert... Yeah, right. Uh, Would would, would Sir like some spanking with that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah, so so here it is, the sex menu. Um, there's quite a lot of things on it. I mean, I, d- I don't think it's exhaustive, but I'll, I'll give you a little sample. Uh, it's in alphabetical order. Oh, so that's really helpful. It yeah. is helpful. Lovely. From anal to wanking, no? Pretty much, actually. <laughs> I mean, the first thing, because in, in the order of the alphabet, inverted commas come before A. Right, so the okay. the very first thing is... No numbers. No. So open quotes slutty, close quotes, clothing, brackets, private or public. After that comes anal intercourse, comma, insertive partner, then anal intercourse, receptive partner. So you see how this works. Further down, we've got butt plugs, caning, corsets, dildos, fisting, frottage, hot waxing, hugging. Hugging. That's just something you do when you meet people you like, isn't it? Imagine if you're down with all of these things and you're like, hugging Mm, is a hard limit for me. Yeah, I'm not into hugging. (laughs) I'm quite intrigued by how many subcategories of manual sex there are. I'm just glancing at this menu as well. About 15 sub-varieties. But that's because all of them are giving and receiving. So you've got manual sex, brackets, hands or fingers inside rectum. Yeah. Giving. And then you've got the same for receiving. Manual sex, hands or fingers on or around anus, giving and receiving. I like the fact they've separated out on or around the anus with fully inside the rectum, you know. To be fair, that 
that is a different thing. Yeah, so no, I get enough. it. No, I'm, I'm actually quite impressed by the detail he's gone into here. Yeah, I think Stephen DeVitt is, is quite a good sex chef. Um, I'd, from... I would love to have a proper look at this and see if we could come up with anything that he's actually not got on there. I mean, people will definitely be able to do that when they're you're oh, always of course. Gonna... But I would suggest that maybe those are the people that don't need a sex menu. Yeah, I like the parts where the sex menu overlaps with what might ordinarily just be termed a menu. So, <laughs> like what? A food play, brackets, cucumbers, sorbet. Sorbet! Yeah, right. Oh, that's what I'll have for sex dessert. Yeah, sex dessert, sorbet, raspberry sorbet, I think. So, is are those it... your only two food options? Or is it, are these just giving examples of things you might care to employ? Well, those are the first two things that have come oh. to his mind which I think gives us an insight into the, the world of Stephen DeVitt So I very much like the idea of a sex menu but I'm not sure what it's for I think it's to help people express desires that they don't feel easily able to talk about otherwise. Okay, so what would you do? You'd both fill it in and then sort of maybe swap and see how you'd matched up? Or... Yeah, and I, I, you know, I can identify with that. I think people sometimes find it easier to write something down that they're into rather than saying it out loud. And, mm. you know, you may then find that the other person's absolutely fine with that and that allows you to vocalise it and talk about it. Yeah, I'm generally pretty down with these kinds of things. There are apps for stuff like that that as well there's one kindu yeah so kindu suggests things some of them are not necessarily sexual some of them are sort of just couples activities it might be romantic or sort of date orientated and you basically treat it like tinder you swipe right or left depending on whether you're interested but your account is linked to your partners so if you get a match it, it kind of pings up a bit yeah. like with tinder saying it's a match that was quite a fun idea i thought i guess I, this I is a similar this is, thing and i don't think this is just for people who can't talk about what they want i think it's quite fun for people who, who can i'm having quite a lot of fun talking about it yeah so. right i mean i, I'm still, I want to fill in the quiz i'm still getting well i'm still getting sort of really interested in various different sort of listings on the sex menu so one of them is saran wrap which i think is an american thing so i think saran wrap is american for cling film oh okay but somehow saran wrapping sounds a bit more exotic and sexual or there's another one over here that, that i quite liked which was standing in the corner watching other people have sex no, no, i think or just... just standing in the corner like in blair witch project with or without a dance or nursery hair. school yeah, yeah right maybe that's the idea you know i also quite enjoy so you've got all the rows which are describing the different sex acts and then you've got three columns one for experience you say yes or no whether or not you've got experience of it willingness not meaning no five meaning yes which is what we talked about and then notes and nuances yeah i think i could add a couple of nuances to some of that i'm into food play but i prefer ice cream to sorbet that that kind of thing yeah fair enough or you know carrots to cucumbers yeah that kind of thing yeah so I discovered this week, well actually I discovered it last week, that when it comes to previous sexual partners, there is a, in inverted commas, magic number. Before I ask what the number is, yeah. says who? The sun. Right, but okay, what is there? Okay, but not the sun. Evidence? I mean, the sun, is, the sun is the newspaper where I saw this. It's actually based on a study by Nottingham, Bristol and Swansea universities. Those are quite sexy universities as well. I remember being told <laughs> that Nottingham had a high ratio of women to men and I, I applied there purely on the strength of, of that. When I was applying to university, I'm pretty sure Manchester came top in the debauchery lists. Did it? Yeah. yeah. I can confirm that the university I did end up going to, Durham, was not very debauched at all. Wasn't and in fact, debauched. still appears very low down those lists. Oxford does all right, bizarrely. <laughs> so if anyone's doing their UCAS form right now... Yeah, right. <laughs> This is good advice here. Stick it in your personal statement. Yeah. So the researchers at these universities surveyed 188 people about whether they would start a relationship with somebody with X number of previous partners. And in doing so, they found that there is an ideal number 
for both men and women? Yes, it's for men and women. In fact, one of the psychologists who worked on it said, contrary to the idea that male promiscuity is tolerated but female promiscuity is not, both sexes expressed equal reluctance to get involved with somebody with an overly extensive sexual history. So what do you think the number was? Is this the number beyond which they start to worry? The number beyond which they start to get a bit put off. Not to complicate things, but this depends on age. If I was 17, it would be a different number to what I would expect when I'm 35. Yeah, that's a really good point. However, just thinking about it in the abstract, I would say maybe sort of nine or ten after which, and I'm not saying this is a personal thing, but this is what I imagine most On people average society, would assume yeah. their partner would have had and therefore yeah. wouldn't be too worried by. The number was three. Three. I know. That's really low, isn't it? That's so surprising. And that it's not a very big sample, to be fair. And I am also wondering whether those people were students, which goes back to what you're saying about age you know if they're interviewing 20 year olds i can understand why it would be that bit lower right because i I mean i know lots of people who lost their virginity at university right yeah me too yeah so therefore you can imagine that being more normal but it still seems extremely low and also for students i know it's a bit of a stereotype but you go to uni you know it's supposed to be like the most wild time of your life you're up having lots of sex it seems surprising that they would be that judgmental yeah but you're still insecure at that age aren't you you're still not confident about your own sexuality that is such a good point it might be more to do with feeling intimidated than feeling judgmental if you've had you know one partner or two partners you don't really want the person that you you're hooking up with at university to have had 15 or 20 do you because you sort of start to feel like maybe they know what they're doing and you don't and especially when you're at that age when you're still figuring out what you're doing also at that age you don't appreciate the fact that the number of sexual partners doesn't really have any bearing on prowess oh god yeah you exactly know, you could have had 15 one night stands yeah and somebody else could have had also a, like 10 drunken hookups in freshers week yeah right compared to one relationship over five years yeah. with someone who, with whom you experiment a lot and learn a great deal yeah how many sexual partners had you had by the beginning of freshers week university I think four. Oh, that's why no one wanted me <laughs> Presumably you didn't broadcast any of this. At that age, though, I think your number is quite important, so you probably guard it quite jealously. I think it was four. It was three or four. I'd have to have a think about it. You know how many I'd had? How many? One. You look quite proud of yourself. No, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm more surprised at my lack of promiscuity at that age. I'm not. You were a serial girlfriender. And I, I hadn't had many relationships. I'd had one, one of those partners was a relationship and I would have liked to have more relationships before mm. going to uni. So, you know, grass is always greener. On the agenda this week, sex and ethics. Can we apply the same ethical standards to sex that we apply to the rest of our life? Right, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because sexual fantasy and sexual desire sometimes feels like it exists on a completely different plane to the rest of our lives and our identities. The rest of what we sort of consider acceptable behaviour. Exactly. I mean, first of all, there's fantasy where we imagine all sorts of things that we wouldn't actually necessarily want to do. And some of that runs counter to the kind of ethics we might employ as well in our general life. Right. So let me tell you a bit about what inspired this discussion. So you probably saw before Christmas, there was a story about a bill currently going through Parliament, the Digital Economy Bill, a clause of which will prevent UK-based web users from accessing websites portraying a range of, in inverted commas, non-conventional sex acts. Now, just to quickly explain that, these are going to be extension of the restrictions brought in two years ago, which limit the production and sale of certain kind of porn content in the UK. 
Right. It's about what acts can and can't be depicted in pornography in Britain. Right. On some level, there's a board of people who have decided what acts are okay and which aren't. So go on. So um, there, there is a list of acts here that are now banned in, in porn in Britain and some of them are quite contentious aren't they talk me through some of the, some of the things that are now banned yeah well when you see the story reported it lists spanking whipping or caning that leaves marks urination strangulation face sitting fisting most of these when you actually get into it they are a bit more specific about quite how extreme it has to be before it's banned mm. and actually if people are really interested in the full list and how it's actually likely to be applied i'd recommend having a look at miles jackman's website he's on twitter it's obscenity lawyer and basically he's a lawyer who deals with all sort of cases to do with obscenity and pornography and pornography and he's very much an expert on that sort of thing so he's just milesjackman.com and there's a full list on there and he really goes into lots of detail so you know when it says fisting it doesn't mean all fisting is banned from porn just as an example as i've got it in front of me it says penetration with all five digits beyond the last knuckle is not acceptable all five Five digits of two or more hands will be acceptable as long as not past the last knuckle. Can you imagine the board of old white guys, presumably, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is true, sitting around discussing exactly how many digits and where, you know, what element of knuckle should be inserted or not yeah. before it. Yeah. yeah what, what a nonsense, really. It's delightfully specific if you like that kind of thing. Some of the more contentious things on the list are things like female ejaculation. So just to give you some background, most of these things have been prohibited on grounds that the very extreme versions of them can be detrimental to health and safety. Female ejaculation begs the question, to whose detriment? Right. As I understand it, the rationale is that the content of female ejaculate may be similar to urine and therefore could constitute a health hazard. And yet, consumption of male ejaculate is completely fine. Yeah, right. And you can't depict female ejaculation, but you can depict gagging, you know, somebody gagging on a, on an erect penis. Something which appears a lot in porn and which I find quite aggressive and, and quite disturbing in, in lots of ways. Here's the uh, lowdown on gagging. Gagging on cock and deep throat are acceptable if not for the whole scene. However, language of the gag on my cock variety is unacceptable due to the reference to choking. Right. I mean, it does say verbal abuse is not allowed. Yeah, that's interesting. Abusive language and depictions of non-consensual sex Ah, and well, now we're getting into a grey area. Mm, Right. And this is where the ethics element comes in. Exactly. And this is kind of what really inspired this discussion for me, because... First of all, non-consensual sex, power play and coercion form such a huge part of a lot of BDSM porn. To what lengths do you have to go to show that it's consensual, you know, without ruining it? I suppose you have to assume if it's being depicted by a registered, you know, uh, studio, then there's not going to have been a crime committed. I mean, you can't be sure of that, but... That would be my argument, yeah. I mean, my, my worry is less what's happened in a in something that's been depicted on screen than how, how close are we getting to policing people's fantasies. Right, well, interestingly, none of this stuff is illegal to do in the UK. What, to pretend to rape somebody? If you and I wanted to have, like, a sort of rape fantasy sex, then, then we absolutely could. And that's, I guess, what I want to talk about, you know, that disparity between what kind of behaviour in life is viewed as not okay, but then when it's transplanted into a sexual context, becomes a fantasy for people. I suppose the question is, is something that's unacceptable in life potentially acceptable in sex or sexual fantasy? Right, so obviously the kind of violence in life, not okay, but then you obviously get 
spanking and whipping all kinds of pain play in sex and suddenly mm. it's okay here's a good example when i was at university studying shakespeare i was reading measure for measure do you know the play measure for measure is one of the few that i don't know broadly the plot of measure for measure is that angelo the deputy duke of vienna has claudio locked now. up on death row he appeals to claudio's sister isabella who is a nun that she can have claudio freed if she agrees to sleep with him. Yeah, right. I do remember this now. Because it's quite raunchy. I remember being about halfway through this play and then going out and meeting a friend for a coffee and she said to me, oh, how are you getting on? I said, oh yeah, not bad. Measure for Measure's quite hot, isn't it? And she looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, firstly, because it's Shakespeare and you don't often get to say things like that. But secondly, because at the point that I'd got to, I was really finding that kind of power play scenario quite a turn on. Obviously, when you look at it in the cold light of day, what's happening there is not okay. You know, he's blackmailing somebody to have sex with him, you know, using her brother's life as the um, bargaining chip. Yeah, it's rape, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, by coercion. But if you apply a BDSM reading, as I clearly did, it's quite hot. This should have been your thesis. (laughs) I I know. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And it's fiction. So therefore, why should you not feel the same way about it as you do about your fantasies? I know. I mean, you know, I got to the end of the play and obviously everything turned out fine and she didn't have to sleep with him and it was all very boring. But... I thought that was quite interesting because that's a really good example of how I just saw something totally different in that than, well, who knows what Shakespeare intended. I like to think he would have been quite open to my reading of it. Yeah, right. I tend to feel if it's fiction, it's fair game. One area I find quite interesting because it it raises all sorts of sort of moral questions for me is, is, is what about having a sexual preference either against a particular race or for a particular race? Oh, right. Totally not okay to have a preference for a race or ethnicity in real life but people just do with sex I mean I think it's interesting because you're sort of halfway into a kind of tricky ethical conversation but you're still very much in the zone of well people just have types don't they you know like I might like dark hair you know or you know I might like girls with big boobs and don't want to date anyone flat chested but that's it you can't you you know you can't legislate for sexual desire like that right exactly and that's what I think is so interesting so if it so happens that you don't fancy anybody of a certain race can you be blamed for that? I think it depends how much you go on about it. <laughs> yeah, right. If you're just constantly going, do you know what? I absolutely cannot stand uh, Lithuanian women. Are they just turning right off? I think everybody has some preferences and race and ethnicity becomes a bit of a fetish in sex, doesn't it? Probably a lot of people are a lot more fetishistic about the kinds of people they have sex with than perhaps they're even willing to admit to themselves. I suppose there is a slight danger. You know, let's say you're a guy who is really into the whole kind of Asian schoolgirls in short skirts type thing and you go around you spend your life basically trying to get with women like that Mm. you are fetishizing Mm. a race at that point oh god definitely yeah and there is a whole chapter on that in Pornland by Gail Dines which talks about exactly that issue going back to sort of sex acts as opposed to kind of partner preferences Mm. just something quite straightforward like submission people just can't seem to get their heads around the fact that if you want to do something in the bedroom that doesn't necessarily mean you think that kind of behaviour is okay okay in real life Mm. in the autumn I saw the artist and trans 
transvestite Grayston Perry speak at the Being a Man Festival at London South Bank Centre and he talked about how in quote marks sexuality has a cultural lag the idea he was getting at is that we often like things in bed that are a bit outdated culturally or socially and I think the sort of slightly sexist ideas come into play there a little bit we've come this far in our culture that we know that women are not socially subservient men and I think some people find it hard to understand why somebody might fantasise about Mm. that but still not believe that in real life and I think perhaps that betrays a lack of understanding that quite often the sexual fantasy or the sexual act is kind of the negative of somebody's normal life oh right well people always want there to be a reason that you're into something and there isn't always a reason no but I, I think sometimes there is a relationship with how you are in the rest of your life so quite often you get these kind of high powered business figures you know who then go and, and sort of pay a dominatrix to dominate them because in the rest of their life they're somebody who exercises power and in their sexual fantasies they want to be somebody who submits to power true I think that definitely does happen but one of the things that was written quite a lot after Fifty Shades of Grey came out by people who do themselves practice BDSM and are quite active in sort of kink communities is one of the things they didn't like about that storyline was that it tried to explain why Christian Grey was into the things he was into and gave him this sort of tragic backstory of abuse and stuff like that which they found really problematic because they said a lot of them just have completely normal lifestyles completely normal upbringings there isn't always some deep psychological reason why you're into something sexually so Mm. I think that's always worth bearing in mind and I do think the sort of mainstream like to look for reasons why people like the sexy things that they like it's sort of an old school Freudian approach isn't it kind of yeah yeah childhood reason or trauma or something like that yeah like what repressed memory is bringing this out in you yeah totally you know I think sometimes it's interesting to try and unpick why we're into what we're into but it's often a bit of a waste of time our sexualities and our desires are really complicated and that's why a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking there's something wrong with them because they're into something unconventional Mm. in inverted commas and they want to know why and really there's no reason to know why as long as you know your partner's down with it and you're all having a good time one good example that I found when I was looking into this was about women who call their boyfriend daddy in bed now I think that that's something that a lot of people would kind of go yeesh about um, and find a bit strange do, do the noise again they would go Okay, all right. And so the article, which was in Broadly, was basically saying, no, they don't have daddy issues. It's not a weird incest thing. It's just a bit of fun power play and chill out, basically. But I think that's quite a good example of something that a lot of people would find a bit strange and want to know why and think that that was a signifier of something unethical. But it's hard to escape the fact that that's a word you use for your father, isn't it? That's the point. That's where I find it difficult. And that's where I think if I was having sex with a woman and she started calling me daddy, I would find it hard and certainly if I knew her father you know I I would find it really hard to ignore the fact that that that's what that word means in in most other contexts I mean some of the people that they interviewed for this story said things like it doesn't mean father it's just to indicate someone who's the boss in charge a protector or doing a good job and somebody else said oh yeah you know it was a sort of submissive thing to a male authority figure but it had a more affectionate tone to it than saying sir or master Mm. I often wonder, what if we got rid of all taboos? What if all kinds of sex were deemed conventional, inverted commas, and everything was okay according to the mainstream? Would we still be turned on by those things? Certainly some things are attractive because they're naughty, right? Totally. 
I mean, I think it's an interesting hypothesis. The problem with it is it, it couldn't happen. No. Could it? Because every, we view everything on a spectrum of right or wrong, good or bad. And everybody's got their own kind of sphere of influence that's feeding into what they think is taboo and not. I mean, some people feel a bit of edge just having sex doggy style, you know? That right. to them feels a bit naughty and a bit dirty. So there's going to be, for each individual person, there's going to be a different cutoff point of when you start to feel dirty and naughty and, mm. and also whether or not that turns you on. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I think no, I think that is that is a good point. I think you know if something is viewed as as outside the kind of ordinary social spectrum, it, it definitely makes it attractive, and that goes for things far beyond sex as well. So why should sex be an exception? <laughs> Away from unconventional sex to everyday sex. Not that, you know, unconventional sex isn't everyday sex for a lot of people, because it is. This is a question that a friend of mine sent in, and she shall remain anonymous. Wait, is this somebody you actually know? Yes. Amazing. All right, go ahead. We're actually having real people writing in with real questions for us to answer in our infinite wisdom. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. In our limited wisdom. But boundless enthusiasm. Yeah, all right. Recently, I've been out with two different men, both of whom tried at some point during sex to suck my toes... Is this some new trend I don't know about? Hmm, I've not been informed. I've got to say that uh, sort of four or five years ago, I used to see this in porn quite a lot. Toe sucking? Yeah, so I feel like if it is it not toe sucking just in and of itself as a fetish, but they would kind of, you know, suck a bit of toe while having sex with ah, the woman. Just incidental to the scene. Incidental toe sucking. Not like yeah. I've specifically searched out toe sucking yeah, fetishes. Yeah. And the women seemed to enjoy it, but then it was porn, so they seemed to enjoy everything in a way that was entirely unrealistic. The women seemed to enjoy it. Oh, bless. Yeah, they, they, they <laughs> orgasmed instantly, so I, I guess that's an accurate depiction of, uh, oh, of how it works. Um, I can imagine it might be quite nice to be on the receiving end of that. The question for me is if, let's say I was with a girl who asked me to do that, yeah. I'd be a bit like, right, shower first. Yeah thoroughly toenails need to be clipped toenails clipped and then go from the shower to the bed you know in slippers or (laughs) or plastic (laughs) some kind of plastic do not touch the floor (laughs) right i don't really want somebody's dirty feet you know i'm up for the idea that in the right circumstances the the foot could be nice and clean and it's probably very very sensitive so i can imagine that feeling great for the person on the receiving end i just think i would want almost clinically sterile conditions before i'd be down with that good to know yeah, right, just in case, you know. But so what, you think you'd like to be on the receiving end of it? Well, I'm thinking more if I was a woman. I, I, oh, right. Yeah, I don't know why I'm thinking like that. Oh, OK, that's some mental gymnastics. Not that hard. It's just me with a vagina and, and breasts. Sure, yeah. easy. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a perfect picture. Oh, God. <laughs> Nobody's ever tried to suck my toes, I don't think. And I don't think I've ever gone to suck anyone else's toes. I now wonder if I should have been. The other thing about toe sucking is that in British culture it has sort of a horrendous connotation doesn't it because the the two famous toe sucking sort of participants were I think didn't David Mellor do some toe sucking in his sex scandal the former famously ugly former Tory minister Fergie Sarah Ferguson the Duke of York's ex-wife her infidelity famously involved toe sucking so the two key examples of toe sucking that we have in british culture both involve people whose feet you would probably pay your annual salary to get as far away from as possible it doesn't conjure up a sexy image does it no yeah in terms of answering the question if it is some new trend i also don't know about it 
I don't think people suck toes just because it's trendy. You know? It's quite funny to have two dates in a row who try to do it, though. That's got to be reasonably unusual. Yeah, but I think that's just coincidence. I mean, it's not like, oh, get a septum piercing, get some skinny jeans, suck toes. I don't think that artisanal toe sucking. I don't think I would like my toes sucked, FYI. I wasn't planning on it. I mean, look give anything more or less anything a go well that's what i said to her really because i was like well toe sucking definitely can't hurt i mean unless they're doing it really wrong so just go with it but she's like nope it's not, i'm not into it. it don't like it at all i can understand some people are really funny about their feet like ticklish they don't don't like them being touched or i would feel self-conscious i'd be worried that my feet smelled or, or tasted bad yeah um, the only context in which i can imagine it just kind of being part of the course kind of fun is like in the bath or the shower you know where you're all warm skin and you're all wet anyway and you everything's clean yeah everything just tastes of tea tree flavor organics uh shower gel yeah minty shower, minty scrub. shower scrub yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pillow talk. I was reading a Mariella Frostrop column in The Guardian this week in which she was answering a question from somebody asking, how can I get used to my boyfriend's low sex drive? It got me thinking about whether you've ever dated somebody with a very different sex drive to you. I wanted to ask you. I'm going to say no. There was somebody who I had a kind of on-off relationship with and only ever saw for a few days at a time and I remember her saying to me you know if we ever were in the same place constantly or were you know we're in a relationship she didn't need sex that often it would you know she would only need it like once a week Hmm. and I remember thinking huh that would be a problem but no I've never been in a position where I was being denied sex or like wanted where you felt like there was a real mismatch yeah or indeed the other way around where somebody was completely voracious and, and I felt like I couldn't keep up for the most part I think quite well matched and I, I wonder if libido is somehow reflected in the sort of character you have and the sort of person you might be attracted to maybe although obviously in this particular problem page it was a situation where she was in a relationship with a guy who had a much lower sex drive than she did mm. mariella said you don't have to get used to your boyfriend's low sex drive if you need more sex that's something you need to address in your relationship and you need to consider if it's a priority for you and if you can't get it in this relationship whether this relationship's right for you which i thought was a fair answer yeah my only concern with that is what if every other aspect of the relationship is fantastic you know are you going to go out and seek another relationship with a guy who's actually a bit of a dick but likes sex as much as you who's to say he's a bit of a dick <laughs> you're just assuming this no right well I'm, obviously that's an extreme example but what I'm saying is I'm not sure you should necessarily seek out a whole new relationship because of an imbalance in your libido like really I'm so surprised that you say that well, I just think that in all relationships there are areas well most relationships there are areas where people don't quite match yeah but sex is really important yeah i mean you get people who have great sex together but don't really have a very similar sense of humor but still want to be together or don't really have similar interests but still want to be together so it depends on the level of mismatch if it's really having an impact on your quality of life then maybe that's a problem but i feel like there are there are ways around that i mean i definitely feel bad for somebody in that situation and i'm always this is probably very unfair on my part whenever i hear about men who have a low libido i I just i don't really get it I don't understand how you can not want sex. Well, that's why I'm so surprised that you're being so nice about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm rarely nice about anything. 
to be honest. I'm trying to think. I I think that actually, with hindsight, I have been with someone who had a lower sex drive than me. But I was so much younger that I don't think it was something I really recognised at the time because mm. I was not yet aware of my own sex drive, really, and what my own needs were and whether I was okay with needing more than I was getting, Yeah, right, et you thought he was normal and you had a problem. Or, well, you know. not, it wasn't even as big a deal as that. I just don't think I consciously interrogated it at the time. I just sort of accepted that it was what it was and it was only later on that I sort of realised, oh, I think that actually there was a mismatch there. Had I had a bit more wisdom and experience, I might have been able to address that. I mean, you could just crush up some Viagra in their, in their food of an evening, couldn't you? That's one way around it. Yeah, but Viagra just makes you hard, doesn't make you horny. Yeah, but for some men, that's, uh, you know, they're one and the same. If they see they've got a, uh, an erection, they're like, oh, I, I must be horny. I don't think um, this is good advice, Rob. <laughs> I think it's very sound advice. Or the, the alternative, just have Mariella Frostrup record a couple of minutes of sexy talk and, you know, away you go. <laughs> If you have everyday sex questions that you would like to ask us, if you've got any ideas of things we should talk about, please, please get in touch with us. You can tweet at The Second Circle. You can find us on iTunes and our website is thesecondcircle.co. Thanks for listening, guys. And join us again for more 2017 Second Circle Sexy Times. Bye-bye.